Intersection is brought to you by Touchpoint Media Network, podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. Learn more at touchpoint.health. What is your greatest passion? Helping others and not, I don't want to see anybody suffer. Spoken like a true mama. Where does that come from? From going through hurt as a child, a lot of battle scars. I was battle tested with a lot of wounds and I always vowed to the Lord that I will help people all the time, the best way I can. Mamas are cut from a different DNA. They will do just about anything for their children, their family, and the people they love. Introduce yourself. My name is Carla Boyd. I'm from Asbury Park, New Jersey. I now live in South Carolina. This is my home now. I love it here. And I'm glad to be a Clemson mom. Welcome to Intersection. I am Bobby Ratu, storyteller. We followed our son, Taj Boyd, to South Carolina when he committed to Clemson. We took the whole family, we uprooted, we wanted to be a part of the process and enjoy his college career and have a support system for him because with him playing quarterback, we felt like that's a big, that's a big time position, a big time role, and he's gonna need some support systems. It takes a village. Talk about what it's like to be a mom of a college athlete that now is a household name. What is that like? It has its ups and downs. Parents, you still got to be careful because people take anything you say and they will use it against you. But overall, it's fun. I meet a lot of people, a lot of interesting people and intriguing people. And, you know, sometimes I can get my, I get a little leeway. Like if I'm in the line at the store and I'll have on something Clemson and somebody will say, how are you affiliated with Clemson? And when I tell them, they'll say, oh, you go, you can get in front of me. I mean, just the courteous people here when they know that I'm affiliated with my son, Taj. They know I'm his mom. My son, my daughter, Tim, everybody, you know, knows who we are. So it's a good thing. Majority of the time. Majority of the time. Taj is a sassy boy. Yes, he is. I mean, we've had people being a family of a high profile athlete. You got people coming to your door. It was people writing us when we first got here. It was one man wiping his feet on the rug saying, I wanted to meet Taj. And I said, well, how did you find out where we lived? He said he went to the corner store in the Bent Tree subdivision and said, I heard the boys moved here. And somebody said, go down the street, young fella, and go to Bent Tree. And you'll see their vehicles. And I, I thought, wow, I'm New Jersey girl. I'm not like used to people being intrusive like that. <laughs> Us us Southern people want to meet. We want to talk. 
We want to get to know, don't we? Yes. I mean, whoa. He was like, I'm coming in. We had some wild stories. Being As being his family, we had a church van pull up. And the pastor had met Tim and Taj and him at DMV when we first moved here. And this pastor pulled up with his church members. <laughs> <laughs> and they pulled up and knocked on the door. And we, we still had boxes. We hadn't even unpacked. <laughs> and and I thought, really? People was doing, we had we lived on a cold, like a, it was a dead end. Yep. We had people driving, doing U-turns. Because <laughs> we didn't have that much traffic in that neighborhood. You got little giggling, little teenage girls, like watching Taj and TJ jump rope or work out in the driveway. <laughs> They be in their little golf carts. <laughs> and one time I stopped a little group of girls. They said, we had a slumber party at the Finnells. The Finnells was Jenny and Cliff. They were good friends of ours. They had like a little slumber party. And you got these giggling. Five girls piled up on a golf cart. <laughs> trying to get a beat at Taj and TJ. So, I mean, it, it's been fun. But then sometimes on, jo- on my job, people would say, that they showed me favoritism. But it wasn't because of Taj. It's because my personality is contagious. And everybody tells me that. Well, let me just tell you. First of all, I i mean, your personality is contagious. The first time we met was in Krispy Kreme. And I come walking in there. And I'm in a hurry. Like, I'm trying to get my donuts. And I'm trying to get... I think I'm trying to get somewhere... And I look over, and there's these two ladies sitting there selling books. And I'm like, first of all, I was like, who sells books in Krispy Kreme? <laughs> and then I looked down, I was like, that's Tosh Boy's mom. <laughs> I was like, well, I guess Tosh Boy's mom can sell books in Krispy Kreme. <laughs> and so then I looked down, I was like, I remember when Taj came here. So what year did did Taj come? What was his his first year do you remember 2009 we moved here yep and he can he graduated from high school early mm-hmm. so he can go to may attend maymester and he went back we went back to virginia so he could walk the stage so that's like preparing for college graduating early to make maymester so it was a lot of preparations even my book i need to write a second one for things I missed out on. But yeah, he graduated early. We moved here. Then we went back so he could walk the stage. So I, 2009. 2009. I, I do want to talk about your book, but I'm saving some questions for it. But I want to, I'd like to back up real quick and ask um, just some early questions of in high school. What was that process like? you know, as he was playing and that recruitment process, was it, was it fascinating? Was it interesting from a mother's perspective? What is that like? I'm going to be real with you. It was wild. It was, it was nice. I ain't getting no sleep. It was fun, memorable, but it was like intriguing because this is a high school kid with all these people coming at him with different stories. And you got to trust one person. And I felt like 
overwhelmed just by looking at him. He was interviewing at 10th grade. He got his first offer in 10th grade from Boston College. I mean, it was a lot of schools coming through Phoebus High School. And at one point, their head football coach said all of those coaches visiting was a distraction. And I was like, wow, why would you say that you should be happy? You know, they're coming in because they might see Taj and other athletes, you know. So it was... It was wild. It was a lot of traveling. We had to do everything together. Me, Tim, TJ. My daughter wasn't living with us. But me, Tim, and TJ, and Taj. Look, plane, train, automobile. <laughs> we did it to make some stuff happen. Um, When you think back of just meeting the revolving door of coaches and people, how does... How does a family and how does a how do you help foster a decision? That's that has got to be the most fascinating thing because no one teaches you how to do that. It just happens, right? And yes. How, how did you foster that and how did you support your son and what was it like being a mom through that process of trying to make a decision on what's quote unquote the best choice, so to speak? Okay. From a mom's standpoint, I'm looking at family or, you know, if, if they're family oriented, Tim was looking at they record, the offense they run, and we clashed over that because I'm looking at the family atmosphere. And you can feel people, sometimes you can feel their spirit or their emotions. And if they're truthful, you can tell. It was like three favorite coaches I had. Dabo was one of them. And then... It was a few other coaches I felt were genuine. But you really got to pick and choose and weed out teams and coaches that you know your son, you know, help that program. You know, I felt like, come on, Tim, stop looking at their record. We need to <laughs> get up close and personal with these coaches. Yep. And anybody that was family-oriented, I was leaning toward. And I know... Taj could be an asset to their program. Hmm. You know, uh, I think back when I was a student athlete. This was 1992. Um, now, I wasn't an athlete, but I was considered a student athlete. I work in athletics and was on scholarship to be a part of the video production and manager team. And I will never forget we were we had the same schedules. We ate in the same at the same time as they did. You know, it was all the same. And I remember the, during uh, uh, fall ball, we showed up in August to get ready. And we went to the uh, Shaletter at the time was where we had uh, all of our meals. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was downstairs Shaletter, so it was like the prime place to go eat. You know, you got the big food. <laughs> and I remember the first day I showed up, and here I am, just a skinny little kid. Mm -hmm. And the lady that was running it, everybody called her mama. She was mama. And she called herself mama because her name tag said mama. Oh, wow. And you walk up, and she knew the freshmen because the freshmen would walk in, you know, the football players and the managers and trainers and us video guys and gals. We'd walk up. She's like, you got a mama, but now I'm your mama. Wow. <laughs> and she was like, and my job is to fatten you up. 
So you get yourself a tray and you better put some food on that thing because I'm going to take care of you. And from that moment on, she became my mama. And that was fascinating to me. I told my mom that. And I'm not a student athlete. I'm not a high-profile kid. You know, I'm not the the big quarterback or the big big offensive lineman guy that's everybody's been talking about. I'm just a kid, you know. So I flipped that around to you. You've got a high-profile kid that's your son, and you got to release him to a school and hope they take care of him, both in the academics and also the athletics, and then also personal life because, you know, there's a lot of pressure. What's that like handing it over to someone else, another mama? Talk, talk about that transition and what that was like. It was... Well, being that we moved here, it made it easier. Now, had we stayed in Virginia, I would have had a lot of sleepless nights. Because he like a, a little guppy in the ocean <laughs> at that point when he first got to Clemson. I mean, you, you're like praying that he he's lands in the hands of the right people and that he surrounds himself with the right people. But then... That resorts back to the kind of kids Coach Sweeney recruits. He recruits certain kind of kids. And usually all the families that I've met have been family oriented. So they pick and choose wisely on top of the athleticism. So I felt comfortable when Taj was away. You know, it was sad the first night he drove five miles away. <laughs> from my home because <laughs> I was like my baby is not a baby no more and but I felt comfortable and confident and Miss Jill Wilkes at Love Clemson Miss Jill Miss Jill keep them in check I gave her my cell phone number we would communicate if she needed anything and she was like that mom to those boys and I was that mom where they come and eat some days I fed Many of them as I can, they would come home. Tosh said, Ma, I got to feed the lineman. That's going to protect me. <laughs> That's smart. And he brought him to my house. And then a few of them start, like, texting me and Tim, saying they was wanting to eat some breakfast or they haven't, they don't have enough funds. So we would tell them, come on over. Like, Taj would come home, and I think Dwayne Allen was on the floor sleeping in the living room. Charles was like, get out of my house, man. But it was a joke. And, you know, if they were hungry, I would feed them. And, like, sometimes Jonathan Meeks or one of them brought their laundry. So Coach Sweeney was like, mama boy, in freshman orientation, freshman orientation, he said, I heard you can get a meal and wash a load. I was like, he said, well, that's the word in the street. <laughs> yes. So it did happen. You know, I can't, I made cookies, big batches of cookies, big chicken leg quarters, Malachi Goodman, big hands. And JKJ was like scuffling over some chocolate chip cookies. And if you see him, ask him. So I, I loved it. And the neighbors would be intrigued because they would see all these Big old players, all these cars in the driveway. I loved it. I loved, you know, being that mom away from home and cooking them a good meal every now and then. That's awesome. What 
tell me um, about you. What what is your journey? What has been your journey through all of this? I want my kids to be better than I was, and any kids that's attached to my kids, like they've always had friends that looked up to me and Tim as mother and father. I just want to help, and it take a village always even when they're grown i still stay in their business you still got to watch over who they're affiliated with because everybody's not genuine and my journey is just making sure they live their best life or i could contribute to helping them like resources you know reaching out to the right people like marketing agents making sure he's around the best marketing agents you know, around the best team that can help him achieve and excel. All my kids, I'm just, and then I love helping people. And then I love mentoring, you know, youth, other moms. That's why I wrote that book. Talk about that book. What what made you write your book? Change. I came from a certain upbringing, but I changed. And I want moms and parents and families to know, no matter what situation you come from, you can turn it around and change it. You you said you were brought up in a certain upbringing. What does that mean? Describe that to me. Dysfunction. I had cancer when I was 15. And instability, you know, teenage pregnancy forced to care and I, I felt those were like wounds and scars and I, I didn't want another kid to go through what I went through tell me about your cancer I was in this is how I found out about it I was in home economic class and we was talking about iodine and goiters they they were big on things like that in home ec and Iodine, iodized salt was important that you buy it, well, the iodized salt, for goiter purposes, thyroid. So we were talking about it, and they showed us a picture of a goiter in our book. And um, she said everybody feel their neck. She was trying to, you know, let us, she tried to illustrate, feel your thyroids. This is where the lobes are at. So I felt my neck, and I felt some type of little ball and they wrote a note back then they write notes home and I was taken to a doctor and I had like a golf ball size note in my neck and when they did the um, biopsy it was malignant and it spread so I got a scar from my ear all the way around my neck to my shoulder and they had to take out everything on my left side and no chemo, no radiation. They caught it all. Wow. It was going into my vocal cords. That's why every now and then I'll get a raspy voice. The ENT said, oh, we can fix that now. I said, no, that's okay. I don't want you to touch nothing. <laughs> I got my voice, <laughs> you know, so. What was that journey like being a teenager having something as major as thyroid cancer and then 
what was that like? It was sad. It was it was sad. I, you know, I cried a lot and always wonder why me. And I was in the hospital for eleven days, and I would take my IV pole and walk to the pediatric unit, like the younger babies, and I would play with those little kids that didn't have visitors. Mm -hmm. And I had a big support system. A lot of my friends from middle school, I was in eighth grade. They came up to the hospital. They made me scarves because I was self-conscious about the scar on my neck. Yep. So they would make me scarves. And it was called a solarium where overflow of visitors. And they had to stop the visitors because everybody in the eighth grade came up there to see me. They was, I think my friends was more intrigued than feeling sorry for me because they was like out of all the people she has cancer and I'm 15 I'm in 8th grade and I'm like wondering why and you always wonder why but then you say God put you through that test so you can help someone else but it was very it was I felt weird I felt sad I had so many different emotions. I was so young. And I kept wondering, you know, as a kid, you're like, how did I get it? How, you know, what environment was I in? Because it was a rare form. And they think I was exposed to radiation, but they couldn't prove it. I know at that age, we are very self-conscious of our image. Yes. You know, we are worried about the clothes we wear and how our hair looks and we're always thinking about before I walk in the door and make sure that all my I'm seen the right way. You mentioned a little bit about the self-consciousness of your scar. What was that like? Uh, tell me, how did you overcome that by dealing with something that's so apparent, you know, a physical scar? Well, it took me a long time to expose, fully expose my neck. But what was worse was the doctors told me I might be, my face might be disfigured when I had the surgery because it was a tedious nine hour surgery. Mm -hmm. They was going through thread like, it was thread like tissue and thread like, I'm not going to say ligaments. It was, it was nerves. The nerves were so thin. If they touched one wrong nerve, they was like, I could be disfigured. So I think I was vain when I came out of recovery. I wanted to see a mirror. And the only thing I had was swelling. And I I just looked in the mirror and cried. I had like a big side of my face was swollen. I had to learn how to hold my head up. It was very rough. But I had so many friends. I've always been outgoing. They would just be like, they accepted me. You know, we had a small town. We were all friends, but we treated each other like family. So it was hard to overcome that scar. And then as I got older, I realized this is me. This is one of my scars and wounds I've been through, but I made it through. So I didn't, you know, it didn't bother me once I got like more up into the 20s and older. It doesn't bother me now because I survived it. Tell me... Talk about a little bit something you mentioned earlier also about 
teenage pregnancy. What did you mean by sharing that part of the tough part of your growing up period, your dysfunctionalness? Because I had the I had the baby, and it was around the same time they found the cancer. So being you know, I was I hid my pregnancy, and the baby. As soon as I had the baby, they had to put me in for surgery. So she having her was a part of saving me also. How so? It was it was it was just like rough. I I look back and wonder how that that takes strength and a lot of prayer. What was it like being a teenager having a child but were you worried about the outside perception? You said that you even hit it for so long. How did you transition out of that and move into a space of, this is just me? I have no other choice because the baby started moving and kicking and <laughs> I, I didn't know what to do. So I went to my mother. My father was very upset, but he got over it. I mean, I was like, this baby's moving I had no prenatal care for five, four to five months. Wow. And she came out healthy. That's awesome. So I advise these young parents, don't let society, you know, make you stay in the shell, you know. And my friends, like I said, my little group of girlfriends, we're still friends now. They accepted me. They like shielded me with the baby. They made sure she had everything. They gave me baby showers. I mean, it was tough dropping her off and then pushing her to daycare or to her grandmother and then heading on to school. I couldn't stay focused and being as unstable on top of that. What was what was so unstable about your household when you were growing up? I lived, you know, I lived with my grandmother and I spent time, a little time in foster care, mm. you know, and I honor my mother and my father. I don't know what they went through growing up, but it was some dysfunction there. And I, I landed up, you know, with my grandmother in, in foster care, me and my baby. What was that like growing up, not having, and maybe I shouldn't be careful how I ask this question. I I take it for granted growing up with um, with two parents. Um, my parents divorced when I was in college, and so I had a lot of struggles to go through at that point in time when they divorced. But I look back, I was very fortunate to have a mom and a dad. And I don't know what it's like to not have that support system. So that is something that I don't know anything about and I don't know how to even talk about it to ask those questions, but would you have had it any other way? It was rough. It was rough. My my dad, he, him and my mom were never married. They separated. He did his own thing. She did her own thing. He wasn't in the picture that much. But it was it was hard, but I lean so much on my friends. If I can bring them on a talk show, they'll, they'll tell you the same thing. Were I, they, le I they, leaned on them 
so much and they were biased. Sakina was a very beautiful baby and everybody wanted her to be taken care of. So that was your family. Yep. So as you got older, how did you, how did you want to mirror your family out of a family from your own background? You talked about how you, you had a dysfunctional biological family and you came through a pregnancy and a major cancer related issue, but you wanted to create, you created a family atmosphere for Taj. What did you glean from? Was it your friends, the family, that type of family? Where did you pull from to build that family atmosphere? Wow. One of my aunts that was a minister, she she wondered that. She was like, that I was, a, she passed away. Rest in peace, Aunt Gloria. She, she told one of my cousins that was living in Maryland before she died. She said, I'm so proud of her. She was a very good mom to her three children. And I don't know where she mimicked that from because it wasn't done for her. Um, the, the love, the hurt, hurt will make you love more. And I didn't want my kids to hurt at all by any means necessary. And I was like, God, if you just give me, I'm going to take care of my kids. If you give me more kids, I'm going to make sure I take care of them. And we tried to make the best environment. It wasn't always perfect, but we tried to make the best environment. They were stable. We always lived in a nice home. And they were, look, what is that called? I was their shadow. I kind of like, God, I protected them. I was overprotective. And I know I shouldn't have been. You know, Tim was like, they're boys. And Sakina. They were all good, outgoing kids, good grades in school. And I was like, God, I couldn't ask for nothing else. Holidays would come. I said, I don't want nothing from y'all. I want y'all to just be good citizens, good kids, you know, good role models. But I, I didn't see it growing up. But it came, I believe it came from God and came from the hurt. I took that hurt and turned it into love support and compassion i truly believe that and uh, and i can identify with you in many ways my parents were divorced um divorce has been a part of my family for many years and the dysfunction of divorce you know how it will tear a family apart many people think that death is worse than divorce and i i have a different opinion i feel like People make a choice and it, mm-hmm. it impacts children and children aren't a part of that decision-making pattern sometimes. And so when Sarah and I got married, we, I made a commitment that I was not going to do that. I was going to be committed and build a house of love and make sure my kids knew that their family was their rock. Even so much that I don't even want to move from our house because I want them to have the stability of knowing where their home is. Yes. Um, what was your drive? What was the thing for you that drove you to create the best environment 
for Taj and for your children, for Tim? And what was that drive? Where did you pull from? I pulled from seeing, um, being around other families that had it together and wanting the best for my family. I just wanted it to be normal. A nice home. I couldn't imagine them getting out of school, not having a home to come to, not being able to lay in their room and play video games. See, I had none of that. I scrambled. You know, I stayed here, there, and everywhere. I couldn't imagine my kids not having a stable home. I can't even imagine not being able to go to the mall, buy stuff, participate in sports, do things regular kids and teenagers do. Some normalcy was a must. I got that drive. It was all in my heart. Two and three jobs. We worked sun up to sundown, whatever we had to do. And it was tough. But when my kids needed something, we can go to the mall and get it or give them money. We didn't want them to feel like nobody was better than them. Hmm. You know, um, I think about your story. When did you realize you needed to write a book? What, what inspired you? Was there a moment that said I needed to do this? What, what made you sit down and start putting words down? What drove you to that? It, it took three years, but every I felt pain. I felt a lot of hurt and from things that went on, you know, in the past, I had to release it somehow. And, put, and putting it on paper was therapy to me. And I felt like if I write this down, I don't want another family to go through this. I want a mom to pick that book up and learn from my experiences. Kids can pick it up and look at all the hard work Taj and TJ put in. A lot of work put into what goes on behind the scenes. If you're a hardworking family, to get Taj to that level, nothing came easy for us. It was adversity at every corner, rejection. Even though he was this little athlete that everybody loved, we still had battle. We was battle tested. Because if the kid with the wealthiest parents put that much money in an organization, their kids would play before the star would, the star kid would play. And that's what you see in youth organized football. Tell me, what is the name of the book? From the Heart of Mama Boyd. And when I pick it up, what do you think I'm going to get out of it? As a peer to Taj, we're similar in age. Um... I know Taj's somewhat of his story. You know, I've seen him on the football field. But to read Mama Boyd's story, what do you hope I learned from that? From a mom's perspective, the the hard work, I came from dysfunction and I changed. And usually a person, the people I know that went through dysfunction, they turned out to be drug addicts, you know, alcoholics mental health rehabilitation centers 
I ain't resort to any of that. I resorted to prayer and loving my family. And it was a lot of hard work. We didn't have the usual. We didn't coast through life easily. Nothing came easy for my family. And that book will see, wow, this family, we stuck together. Cars breaking down on the way to college visits. I mean, people talking negative. You know, our house getting egged at Clemson. I mean, it ain't easy. And for when parents read that, don't think it's peaches and cream. Every kid can't be the superstar. You that'll that's a part of that book also. You gotta put your work in. That's why I still fight for my kids and especially Taj. He put a lot of work. And we put a lot of work. He put a lot of work behind the scenes to get where he is. Nothing came easy. When I uh, hear that you moved here, when Taj committed, came to Clemson, some moms would be like, that's helicopter mom. She just wants to be all in, up in it, his business, not let him make decisions. That's not the case, is it? Nope. What, it, what was that about? Talk about that a little bit. The, deci- the decision to move here? Well, we were a military family, so we were used to traveling. <laughs> you used to moving. Yes. <laughs> we lived in that New Jersey, Virginia, Georgia. That's just part of your DNA. Yes. So we felt, and Virginia was Tim's last duty station when he was in the Navy. So we won, and then he felt like South Carolina had a SEC feel. That's his football terms. <laughs> I was like, but it's the ACC. And then Atlanta, Taj was born in Georgia. Mm -hmm. He close to where he grew up. Taj was born in Albany, Georgia. People don't know that. Born a Georgia Bulldog. They had dressed him in Georgia Bulldog stuff. TJ was born in Jacksonville, Florida. Military babies. And Sakina was born in New Jersey. But I ain't want to be no helicopter mom. I want to enjoy the experience. Mm. And also, it depends what kind of position your kid play, what kind of pressure, and what he walked into a program that was to had a new coach. Yep. Growing pains, and he he would come home, you know, and just you know sit back, fall asleep, eat. You know, still had his bedroom upstairs. I felt like. He needed that support system. My gut instinct. Yeah. I, we were going to move to West Virginia. Now that I look back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Oregon. I mean, you know, Ohio State, Oregon, and Clemson was in the running. But Tennessee, I like Tennessee, but we were going to move. We don't know about Oregon. That's a tough <laughs> move right yes, there. That was, we've been driving across the whole continent trying to get there. But we we didn't we weren't in his business. He didn't even come home often as I like. I mean, we weren't one of the moms that I wasn't one of the moms that went to the dorm. But every now and then I would go clean up. Mm-hmm. My we, mom did that. Yes. I grew up in Clemson. <laughs> 
<laughs> went to Daniel High School, tried to go to Auburn to get away from everything, mm-hmm. got a uh, scholarship to go to Clemson to work for football. My mom was like, you're going to Clemson. See? And I was like, okay. <laughs> best best decision ever made. And it didn't matter. She would show up once a week. Yeah. She'd give me a little cash, put a little cash in my pocket. She'd uh, she'd pick me up, give me cash, take me home. I'd wash my clothes. Come, She'd drop me back off. While I was home washing clothes, she'd feed me. Give me a good meal, one good meal a week. Because she knew when I went to the dining hall, I'd just eat junk. Yep. And then I'd come back in. She'd drop me off. And then I'd reset for the week. Mm-hmm. And I look at that college experience and very thankful that I had my mom close. Because I knew my mom and my grandparents. I'll never forget uh, Florida State weekend, 1992. And we lost that game. And every, I was just, it was like the second, second game of the year, third game of the year, something like that. And college was new to me. And mm-hmm. the demands of class and all these new people with all these new opinions and this and that. And I drove to my, my mom and dad were, were not home for some reason. And so I dra- drove to my grandparents' house here in Anderson and they weren't home. So I just sat in my car and went to sleep. And, and my pop and my nana showed up, pulled in, and they <laughs> saw me asleep. And my nana looked at me and goes, you're tired, aren't you, yep, son? Exhausted. You're exhausted. You're exhausted. And she was like, you go upstairs and you just go to bed. I slept for 18 hours. Oh, my goodness. And my mom was flipping out trying to figure out where I was. And my nana was like, just let him be. Let me take care of him. Oh. But I'll never forget that. That was a safe space. And so when I asked the question about the helicopter mom, I was intentionally, I wanted you to say, it's just about being present, isn't it? It's, it's about being present and being that, you know, you want to breathe again. You can get away from all that camaraderie. There's no way I could deal with any of that for three days in a row without going and release. Yep. That's a lot. That's a lot of pressure on our athletes. Like you said, people, opinions, quotes, social media, the fans. It's a lot. It's a lot. And I felt like, yeah, I'm going to be right there in case he needs us. I don't care what nobody say. We we paved our own way. Nobody did anything for us. So when parents say that, if you enjoy any experience, look at all the friendships I've made. I mean, people in the store now be like, hey, mama boy, you know, I'm not doing it. I'm I'm not doing it for the publicity. I'm doing it because I know I can help another family. It's moms that think as soon as their kids play football, they start thinking about NFL. Your kid could be successful on and off the field. Get that degree. You know, Taj did a little time in league, a little time in Canada, but he's still successful. So on and off the field, support your kids. Help push them to be all that they can be. Because sometimes that's what they need. They're young. 
and you don't know everybody's intentions no more. You, it's so scary that you know you can't tell. People hide things. They hide hatred. They hide love. They hide everything. So be there for your kids, moms and dads. I mean, you can't worry about like what people say. Mama's boy, yep, he sure is. They sure are. They're my babies. Um, one of the things that's the hardest thing for me to do is to sit in the stands. Um, after being on the field, I did my undergraduate, then worked, and came back, did grad school, was a GA at Clemson. You get to a place where you see the humanity of what's going on in the field. There's so much more, and the personal relationships you have with a lot of the players and the coaches, that it's hard for me to sit in the stands in the bad mouthing and, mm. you know, fussing at the kids. And and I can't imagine what it's like to be a mom, to sit in the stands with 80-some-odd thousand people, watching your child making pretty hard decisions in a split second, but he's playing a game. It is a game. It's a game. It's a game. Yes, thank you. It's a game. It has an end. It will be over. Yep. Whatever happens on the field stays on the field. Yep. How do you how do you manage that? All that noise. Not just the loud noise, but the negative noise and the and that kid should have thrown it that way and he was so stupid and you know, what's he doing out there doing that? You know, what how do you compartmentalize and manage that noise? Well, I knew going into this, I had to keep my composure. Now, Tim ear hustles. He had everything. He was the more verbal one. And TJ said, Dad, this is the high school. Chill out, you know. And I've heard the way they put the families together, it's like we're protecting each other. Because hmm. me and Catman's mom used to sit there and hold hands and pray. After Tosh threw the touchdown and Catman kicked. We will hold hands and pray together. So they, the way they put us, it was like we were all the families. But when you go to the restroom or when you walk in through the stadium, you hear the negativity. Yep. And Tim, he just, it crawled, it, it just got under his skin a lot. So when we lost a few games, he'll leave and say, I'll meet you at the car. Because he don't want nobody saying nothing negative. Hmm. It was a hard pill. For him to swallow. I just stayed. Kept my composure. And said. Lord get me through this. Get me to the car. I don't want to say anything. I don't even want to feed into it. But I've heard. Some people say some cruel stuff. About kids. And it's sad. I'll never forget my last football game. uh, In the regular schedule running off the field with Woody. Uh, not that we were running off together just to run off together. We were just running off the field at South mm-hmm. Carolina. And we're trying to get off the field. You know, it, we just lost the game, you know, just trying to get out of there. And as I was running off, you know, he still had his helmet on. He was, for some reason, I can't remember why. But I got beamed in the head with a beer bottle. Ooh. And I thought about that. That still bothers me to this day. But I think about it. It's like, 
it is just amazing what people will do and uh, the just the nasty nature of the game sometimes overshadows the most glorious moments that bring the best memories. Yes. And, you know, Taj and DeAndre going to always be remembered for fourth and 16. Yes. Yes. No one's going to remember. No one remembers all, you know, the game that he had against NC state where he broke all the daggum records and all this stuff. Everybody just going to remember that LSU game. Yep. That's the pinnacle, isn't it? Yep. What was that pinnacle like for mama? The fourth and sixteen. Mm. Nerves was tore up in the stands and that pivotal moment you get an adrenaline rush. And I, I think I was in a out of body experience <laughs> <laughs> because I I know if we would have lost that game, the fans turn. They turn on the players. It's not fair, but it happens. It's a competitive nature from the Clemson fans. But that's the day where I I, I, I had to choose between going to the bathroom or sitting there and trying to hold it. And I'm not making this up. I started to walk up steps and my knees was buckling. I was a nervous wreck like I was out there. And these <laughs> ladies came and helped me like I wasn't injured or anything I just was like trying to look and walk up like hoping I just go in the bathroom and come out and it's done and we won you know it's over with we won but it was the most exciting moment it's like I could feel his emotions that he came through for the Tigers he came through for them him and Newt and Catman and people don't know before seeing something on the field and went to Coach Morris. And when I brought that up on social media, people didn't know. They was like, whoa, you know. So it was it was exciting. We we were gonna stay in Atlanta, but we came, we drove all the way back to Seneca, didn't get home till four o'clock in the morning. Everybody was just celebrating. And I just felt like Man, that's a tough kid. He had cuts and bruises. It was like he just kept bouncing up, like kept fighting until victory was won. I remember watching that game and thinking that defensive line is just destroying him. Like he was getting hit hard. That series he got hit hard. Yep, I was just like sitting and I would bury my head. I was just... Bury my head and lay on Tim. He he had that sense. He would say, it's going to be all right. It's, you know. He had no, I don't know how. He knew when Taj was having a shady game or. But he knew Taj was going to come through. But, yeah, they was hitting my baby. He had a scar from his knee up to his thigh. You could see, like, all different helmet juices on him. God. And little pieces of blood. And Andre Ellerton, I remember he was with Taj after, like, just standing there like his bodyguard. And it was just so exciting. Like, if you go back and watch it now, they'll say that a legend was born, and it gives you chills. 
and and that's why I end up making t-shirts fourth and 16 to 44 and 16 the journey and tiger sports shops brought them people want people bought them now got like license plates <laughs> that's awesome I trademarked it did you good yes. for you yep the journey one pivotal moment and that could mean when Dabo took over that's a pivotal moment when he got CJ to stay, stay yep that was a pivotal Taj came back for a senior year yep pivotal moments and the number 4 to 16 to one of our scores 44 to 16 you know you got number 4 yep Deshaun Watson Trevor Lawrence number 16 you got 4 to 16 yep Taj and Newt yep Taj and Newt 10 plus 6 is 16 yep fourth down like I went berserk with them numbers when I started creating stuff that's awesome. And, you know, and Dabo always revert back to the Bible. Yep. Never give up. It's funny how those things happen, isn't it? Yep. Talk about a little bit about Taj now. One of the, and the reason why I asked that question is I am very thankful, even though I wasn't an athlete, that I was able to go through being a student athlete. It's almost like going through the military. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'm not a military person, so I can't speak to what that's like. But it conditions you for life. Mm-hmm. Yes. Talk about that from a mother's perspective. Do you believe that? And do you see that athletics help condition your son for life? Yes. I believe mentally and physically. He's healthy. He's health conscious about what he eats. He works out a lot. And once they get that mindset, they keep it. I I haven't seen too many athletes just let themselves go. Yep. Not with Clemson players. Yep. And it prepared them for a tough world out here. You know, when you're playing in front of 80,000 people, you got the opposing team talking junk and say, naysayers. It prepares you for battle <laughs> in all areas. Mental, physical, emotional. That's what, you know, that's how I feel. You know, we're watching, we've watched Taj's story unfold on the field. We're watching it unfold now as he is becoming a professional. And, but what, how is Mama Boyd's story unfolding? I'm, you know... I'm just getting the word out and sharing my experiences with people and trying to get moms to step up and push your kids to greatness. It doesn't have to be NFL all the time because that wears out, you know. Eventually that runs out and then they have to make a choice to be, you know, in another sector, you know. But my... It's unfolding like I'm I'm doing a lot of community stuff for the foundation, a lot of community service, keeping our foundation, keeping his name and legacy alive. I love doing that stuff for him. He's done enough. He's done a lot for the university, you know, for the whole state. I mean, there's other people that's done stuff, but 
I'm talking about my perspective. And I'll keep on getting that word out and encouraging moms. No matter what you come from, you can change your situation. Because I, I could have been easily resorted to drugs and alcohol. Look at me. I haven't resorted to nothing but prayer. Lots of prayer. You know, and positive thoughts. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. Intersection is powered by Touchpoint Media Network, podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. To learn more, go to touchpoint.health. That is touchpoint.health.